Welcome to Conversations with Moon, Body, Soul. Today, my special guest is Jordan Corey. She's an incredible artist and tarot reader. Mm. Welcome to the show, Jordan. Hello, Katie. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming over. So I've known Jordan for a little over a year now, maybe. Yeah. Almost two. It still feels, was it two? Maybe. It still feels fresh and yet old. (laughs) (laughs) So I know Jordan through one of my really good friends, Megan, who I did my yoga teacher training with. Yes. She introduced me to Jordan. Um, Jordan's come to my moon circle as a special guest for that and read tarot for the circle. And I think it's still the best circle that anyone's ever gone to. (laughs) That's so nice of you. I'm like so glad that that was like the reviews afterwards because I was nervous going into it because I had never done tarot in that format before. So I'm glad that people. Yeah, I had no clue what to expect either, but it just it just worked and people loved it. So you have to come back. I know. I know. (laughs) I really would love to do another one with you. It flowed so like organically as well. Like it didn't that circle. There were no like weird oh yeah glitches it just sort of it was perfect so to give um let's let you give a little bit of background by about yourself so i did mention that you are an artist and you read tarot am i missing anything else that you want well i would say that um outwardly yeah those are probably the two the two biggest influences in my life um i also uh do a fair amount of yoga oh yeah (laughs) i like So I'm from the Bay Area of California originally, and I think I might have told you this before, but when I moved to Los Angeles, like the big joke was like, you're going to get into yoga and like drink a lot of kombucha. And I was like, ha LA losers. And then like fast forward, like not even like three months of me living here. And I was like, kombucha is amazing. Yoga's <laughs> changed my life. <laughs> no shame. Yeah, dude. <laughs> like, And I like, I understood it better. I also like harshly judged, I think when I was younger, just any other stereotype other than the one that I thought I fulfilled. So <laughs> I, I was unfairly judging yogis and kombucha drinkers because now I am one. I'm both too. And it's great. <laughs> um, and it's an amazing project. I literally like homebrew kombucha. Do you know this? Oh my God. I didn't know you did that. It's not the most glamorous process. Uh, if anyone's tried it, oh, like it can smell pretty bad yeah. or if you mess up. I don't know. My sister tried it and I think she, I think she messed up because it, it reeked. Dude. Well, it's like a living organism that you have like in your house and it like, it's just like a big piece of like mold that grows in layers it's it's really really bizarre but around like I don't know I, I won't even get into it but it's fun but not glamorous work <laughs> <laughs> I love that so when did you um first off so you can find Jordan on Spotify if you, you do want to hear her music oh yeah um, I didn't give you any background did I but, no but yes. I want I definitely <laughs> want to talk about that I would love to know like what you got what got you into um, singing and sharing your art? And yeah. yeah, let's start there. So if we go like way, way back to the OG days, um, when I was little, so I have an older sister and my older sister was always super, super outgoing and I was really, really shy um, and like more inwardly contemplative when I was a kid. And my mom felt that I was too like kind of sensitive and shy. And so in elementary school, you know, you did like, school plays and my mom like made me audition with my sister and I really like wasn't into it at all but my sister was really into theater and so I kind of begrudgingly did it you know I'm in third grade however old you are then and we realized when I was younger that I kind of had a knack for singing and performing and it was like the only time that I was super super outgoing and felt really like like I was doing something I was good at and 
connected and all that jazz. And so I started doing musical theater pretty regularly after that first show. And like for anyone that's done musical theater, it's like (laughs) it's the most extra, but like the most wonderful organized sport is kind of like I think people that play sports get out the same like you get the same thing from theater um but it's just like art focused mm-hmm. so there's like a team the games are the show that you're putting on so like there's a lot of like team building collaboration and then like artistic expression all in one medium so i started in theater and then i want to say i was like 11 or 12 i might have been 10 and then my mom also, shout out to my mother also for pushing my sister and I in a lot of Ooh. creative endeavors. Um, she wanted us to try piano and we had a piano in our home growing up. So at 10, I started these very rigorous, very strict um, classical piano lessons um, with this amazing teacher, Yuki Andrada. Um, and she was like a, a famous classical pianist in Japan wow. that had like landed in the Bay Area. And um, at the time... When I started piano, I thought it was cool. But when you when you really have to put in the work to right become good at an instrument or anything, really, that's when it starts getting kind of difficult to to stay on task. It's not as fun. You get bored. So my mom would like force us to go to these piano lessons and force us to practice throughout the week. And eventually my sister and I just like wore my mom down after I want to say we did it for at least three or four years. And we just wore my mom down eventually and uh, quit piano. So. At this point, I was 12, I think, or 13 when I quit piano. And then I just like lived my life as like a a young teen and got into high school. And like high school was not my jam. Um, I always had friends in high school. I was fine. I just like didn't like it. I just didn't like what happens to people in high school. I can get that. You know, it just like felt weird. And Obviously, probably with my hormones, I had like a ton of new emotions and things that were happening. And so one day, I think I was actually, I think I was in a play and my first song is about a boy in one of the plays that I did. Like I got so serious in musical theater, I was doing this outside uh, children's musical program. It's like, like nationally known it's called cmt also shout out to the children's (laughs) musical theater of san jose um and there was this guy that was four years older than me because the kind of it was like you could do plays it was you know sectioned off by age so like 14 to i think 18 or 19 so i was like 14 in this play and there was this like 18 year old guy that was like super talented always got casted in leads and i was just like very like you know butterflies like oh my god He'll never notice me. I am simply a 14-year-old extra. (laughs) And so one day, I guess I had enough like bottled up emotions that I like came home from high school and sat down at my family piano and wrote my first song. Wow. Yeah. And then from that time. Yeah, dude. I love that. (laughs) I still know I still know the song as well. Like I don't I don't remember what chords it was. I could probably figure it out, but like I remember it was this very basic, like very like silly song. But um I still remember it. And then from there, I just like that's what I did when I would go come home from high school every single day. I'd come home, I'd put down my shit. 
Can I say that? And uh, everyone, (laughs) uh, I'd go home, put down my backpack and I would just sit at the piano and I would just play for like hours. And my sister and her friends and my cousins that were always around would always be like, so the the way that the room was situated is that the piano was kind of in the entryway to our home. And then the wall that shared with the piano was like the TV room. So my sister and my family would always be like, shut up, dude, like stop playing. And like to this day, my sister will be like, I'm really sorry about that. (laughs) But yeah, that's like, it was my, um, the closest thing I guess I can say to like my like therapy. It's how I processed a lot of things in high school because I just had a lot of a lot of emotions I didn't know what to do with and I couldn't connect with anyone on the level that I felt my feelings. And so I just started uh, writing writing songs. Do you feel like now they still come from a place of processing emotions or totally? Yeah, totally. I feel I was actually talking to one of my um, one of my co-writers recently about this and like the process of. Um, becoming like a good lyricist and a good songwriter. And um, one of the things I figured out is really the best way to do it is to be as vulnerable as possible and to be as clear as possible about what you're talking about. But at the same time, a song is a diary entry. Mm -hmm. And like, I doubt that right now, if I was like, Katie, go grab your diary or whatever, your journal Mm -hmm. and read an excerpt It's super exposing and it makes you feel really, really kind of out there and raw in a way that's uncomfortable because it's not a natural way that you interface with people you don't know. And that's really what good songwriters are able to do. They're able to be wholly vulnerable and clear, but somehow maintain this air about them where they don't feel exposed. And that's like one of the most challenging things I've found because I... You can even trace this back to if you can find some of my old songs. I used to write kind of cryptically because I wanted to make sure that no one knew exactly Mm -hmm. who I was talking about. And especially I was very insecure. I was like in my teenage years, you know, so like and I was playing this music out like I would go to um, I would go to friends houses um, that had pianos and they would invite all of their friends over and I would just play whatever I was working on at that time. And so obviously some of the songs would end up being about people that were there. And so I, I, I developed this habit, kind of a bad habit, actually. Um, it helped me with metaphors, but um, of writing really cryptically so that it was kind of confusing mm-hmm. about who I was talking about. And now um, that I'm older and I've been doing this professionally for a while, I'm, I have to undo some of that and just be more okay with writing authentically how I'm feeling without feeling judged or whatever and that I feel like that comes full circle with not caring what other people think about you you know it's like you don't need to be a songwriter to have to deal with that issue I feel like that's like what adulthood is it's like getting to a place where you're comfortable with yourself and you don't and you don't um care what others think of you because you feel good about yourself and you know you're good without needing validation from others so a lot of I think like all work but a lot of writing is it's really like a like soul-centered work I became a better writer as I began uh, becoming more introspective and figuring out these kind of basal human things. Does that make sense? It makes sense. And that's incredible because I feel like even when I first started writing in a journal, I never really kept up with journal writing except for the last like three years probably strongly. I felt even insecure to actually write down just when you write it. Even though I wasn't sharing my journal with anybody, but once you write it down, it's like someone could find it. <laughs> someone else could read this. It's real. Yeah. Like before the internet days, I remember my uh, middle school English teacher always saying that don't write anything down unless you don't want someone to read it. And she was so serious about yeah. it. And it 
kind of scared me. So seeing um, songwriters like yourself be so vulnerable and be able to share, it really is like, wow, that girl has some confidence if she can own it. And you're almost um, writing from a place where you're not worried about the audience as much if you're using it as a therapeutic process. Yeah, it took time to get there. I'm still not I'm still not perfect at it. It's still something I'm 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 really working on and will always I think have a long way to go. Um but that's that's the goal. <laughs> that's that's the real goal. And I think that's what people connect to in music. Like I've always said like um I don't really love genres per se. I love music where the first note I feel something. Mm. So how do we do that? Like how did like you and I connect and form a relationship and a friendship deeper than being acquaintances is because we are able to be vulnerable with each other enough that we trust each other because it's it's in that vulnerability that that you're like, okay, cool. Like we're we're both humans. We're both going through this experience. So if you're just singing or writing or even talking about surface shit all the time, you're not gonna have you're not gonna have that guttural feeling mm -hmm. when people meet you. And so that's what um that's always at the top of my mind. Um, at least when I've got the initial idea down, when I'm listening back and trying to, okay, hone it in, that's the first thing. Okay, well, can you feel what I'm saying? And then the real the real way to do that is, did I feel what I'm saying? Like, I literally lock myself in rooms similar to this podcast room, <laughs> you know, and like, like just sing it um, how it feels. And then I'll keep doing cuts until it feels genuine and authentic to that feeling. I love that. So would you suggest um, that, I know you mentioned that songwriting for you is a therapeutic process, but do you have any sort of steps for somebody that maybe isn't necessarily wanting to share a song, but like questions you ask yourself or ways that you kind of put yourself? That's tough. Do I have any steps? I feel like um, writing was obviously something that was really helpful for me. Um, I didn't journal as much when I was younger. I wrote poems, which is like very weird. And like, I did too. I was a poem writer. <laughs> I think they teach us poems at some point, like in, yeah. in middle school, maybe like you have to do it in English and then it sticks with some people. So that's what I just needed. Um, I, I've, I've actually, I've had a lot of conversations with my sister about this recently, um, about these forms and modes of just like expressing emotion and, and feeling. And obviously I have um, I have this obvious one where I write I write music and my sister um, isn't really a musician. She, you know, doesn't create in that way. And sometimes she feels like she doesn't have a creative outlet to express these things. So a lot of the things I was suggesting, um, try yoga, um, try writing, try keeping a journal, try reading, which are all things that I do, did not resonate with her at all. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't because there was something wrong with her, her process. That just wasn't what resonated and worked for her. And it's like, I remember um, like mentors of mine, like sharing this advice for me. Cause I'd be like, how do I, how do I um, begin to uh, know myself more? How do I create more space within myself? Um, or even when I started doing yoga, I was always like, am I doing this right? And they would always be like, there is no right way. Like find your path and you will know. And I was like, what? <laughs> like I was so frustrated by this idea. And then lo and behold, eight years later, I, I understand clearly what that means, which is just keep trying things that could potentially express some, you know, some pressure until something sticks. But the, the key is to try different things until something sticks. Like, have you ever read, um, so the RZA from Wu-Tang Clan wrote um, 
this amazing book, uh, The Tao of Wu. And it's actually a really short read. I highly recommend, even if you're not in music, reading it. Um, it's about more of a mindset and a lifestyle. Um, and one of the things that he was saying is before Wu-Tang Clan started, so obviously Wu-Tang Clan was like the beginning of, of hip hop as mm -hmm. we know it today. Um, and he had tried a bunch of different outlets to kind of make it as a rapper or a producer and or DJ and things just weren't. You know, they, they weren't connecting. It wasn't progressing. And at this point, he was getting older and there were more responsibilities, more responsibilities, more responsibilities. And he randomly one day said that he just started, he'd leave his house in the morning when he didn't have work and he would just walk around the blocks. He would just walk for hours and sometimes talk to himself. And people in the neighborhood thought he was like losing his mind. And through those walks that he did for a couple month period, he had the idea for Wu-Tang Clan. And here we are now. Everybody knows Wu-Tang Clan, right? And so his process, which is my journaling, is my poetry, is my yoga, his process was walking around a city, you know? And so that book enlightened me to the fact that it really can be different for people. I think it's just doing something where you achieve a bit of um, a non-thinking standpoint. Mm -hmm. I feel like a surfers. Exactly. Yeah. I feel like surfers, right? Rob, my, my boyfriend, um, his is for sure, it's soccer. And to me, that sounds like my yeah. worst nightmare. <laughs> like I would hate that. Yeah. But when he's playing soccer, he's meditating. Like he's in his flow state. You know? I love who, that. Who would have thought? And no one, like you're not going to meet a yogi or like, a Buddha, and they're going to be like, try yeah, soccer. Yeah, to do this. <laughs> yeah, they're yeah. not going to do it. And it's like, it's the weirdest journey because yeah. I think you just have to be dedicated to it. And if you're, there's like, it's a, it's treasure, right? Like discovering even a, a, a glimpse of who you are. It's like this like pirate's booty. So yeah. if you get excited about that, you're going to find it. It's just dedicating yourself to finding that practice. And it's usually not that hard to find it once you start. You know? Yeah. Or have you had that experience? Yeah, I actually was a guest um, for a yoga event and they asked me to speak on self-care. And when I first thought about, okay, what am I going to say about self-care? <sighs> like, what is this word, this buzzword that's thrown around, around so much? What does it actually mean? And I realized that it really meant something different to everybody. Yeah. And that it's such a personal thing. Yes. That I feel like a creative outlet is so similar to self-care like that is a huge form of self-care is letting yourself yeah. express creatively yeah um but it's personal and it's different so for me it is like taking baths and you know reading or pulling cards or going to a yoga class yes other people it's like going for a run or playing racquetball or like something yeah. i would never understand yeah. or enjoy totally um so i think that was the number one thing that i wanted to share was like it's very personal and try everything out and see what works for you exactly exactly um, but i love having your take as a songwriter though just to see like oh this is another form that someone could try writing and sharing and being vulnerable totally it's fun it's a fun experimental way to do it and like sometimes too like a lot of producers that i know you know like um for me i it helps me process through words and like producers or composers process through sound um so I sometimes wish I actually processed better purely through sound sometimes because words are we're so limited in our vocabulary, mm -hmm. right? Like um, I can describe something to you or describe this room to you, but it's not going to be as visceral or as real if I if you were in it. But I could probably create some sounds yeah. 
that would make you feel like you were in this room. Does that make sense? Yeah. No? And I feel like with words, so many people have their own meanings to words that you have no idea what it's going to bring up in somebody. Yes. Um, and actually, that's what I kind of talked about in the first podcast is I really want to have maybe even like a language expert. I just think language yeah. is such a powerful thing that people don't realize and talking to themselves even. Yeah. The it's words so that you crazy. Say. I'm reading. Um, You've read you read Untethered Soul. Yes. Right. So I'm finally I getting to that. It, but amazing. I listened read. <laughs> but I'm finally I'm finally getting to that book. It had been recommended to me, I think by Megan first, um, and then like so many people down the line, eventually to the point where I was like, Okay, it's time for me to read this book. And they do such a great job um articulating uh one, the limitations of language. They they definitely mm -hmm. just like address that. Um, but also the like, who are you talking to exactly. all the time? Exactly. Actually, coming back to the to Wu Tang, if anyone have you ever seen the KRS One lecture? Um, so KRS One was like affiliated with Wu Tang. KRS One did um, most famous song was Woo Woo. That's the sound of the police. Oh my God, no, I yeah, know them. You know, yeah. it, of course. And so now he still raps and like MCs, but he um, he goes around and does like these like kind of motivational talks to like college campuses and things like that. And there's this one that's absolutely incredible. Like I straight up cried when I was listening to it because it freed my soul. So it's it's. Let me paint the picture for you. So it's a couple years ago. It's Sunday morning. I wake up with my boyfriend. We're making our morning coffee and tea. And he's like, hey, do you want to watch this talk with me? And I look and it's two hours long. And I was like, mm. I was like, we can start it, but there's no way we're finishing it. Literally, it was the best two hours of my life. Like I d didn't even realize it was two hours. So the first hour is on the history of hip hop as a culture, which is profound. Um, anybody who thinks they know about hip hop, um, still listen to this anybody that doesn't know anything about hip-hop listen to it it's incredible captivating and then the second hour is kind of like the meta the beyond the self and one of the things that he addresses is who are you speaking to all mm. the time because like right now I'm I could say hello to myself yeah and he has you hold up like I think it was like a rock star sticker you know like that energy drink and he happened to have that sticker and he was like right now nobody talk and he was like, but say in your head, rock star. And then he's like, who was that? Yeah. Who's speaking? And um, it was amazing. It actually t talks on a lot of the, it overlaps with untethered soul in that regard. Um, KRS One obviously presents it, has a different uh, way that he yeah. presents the information. <laughs> but um, but I, I loved the similarity between those two things, like the many selves that dwell inside of you and, and who's the who's the real one. Like which which one is you? Like that's the a part about untethered soul that's really trippy. Is at the beginning, the first couple paragraphs is just like, well, who are you? And the first thing you say is like probably your job and mm -hmm. maybe where you're from. It's like, well, that's not you. Well, who are you? Uh, I don't know. I like long walks on the beach. No, that's not you either. Who are you? And it gets to the point where you're like, you've said all the descriptors, and you still know that that's not quite fully you. And then really, uh, what they assert is the who are you is the one that is watching yeah. all this happen you're we're not even the human form that's doing it and i think like t if i could tie it even back to songwriting like when i'm doing when i'm writing music um and i write something good i'm unaware that i'm writing something good um and i'm unaware that i'm writing at all you know you're just it's just like outputting because you're connected to something that's watching this experience and you realize that you're just like the hands or the voice or the 
you know, the physical manifestation to get it done. And like, I, I love that idea. And in the book, too, they talk about, um, I'm sure you remember, uh, they talk about, you know, uh, when you have like the the negative, the roommate, <laughs> the shitty roommate that lives in your head and it's just yeah. like always negative self-talk. And it's like whenever any of the many voices is taking over, literally all you have to do is be like, hello, yeah, hello. Be the witness, be like, I know what's going on here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The moment you're aware of it. Yeah, and it's I'm that sure. same rock star. Who yeah. talked to hello and then you go, Oh, yeah, oh, hello. Oh. My, my hey, bad. that girl's back. That's a bitch yeah. in my head. What is she doing? <laughs> yeah. I love that. We'll link to all of these books and the talk in the description yes. if you guys want um to hear more. But I feel like the same way with leading um meditation. So I I'm recording meditations now. I've led them in public and I feel like the best meditations are the ones that I almost black out and it's just like a yeah. channel i have no plan for it and my eyes will be shut and i feel like i'm this larger than life like yes. formless being and yes that i feel like must be yeah maybe similar to how you feel when your a song is flowing through you yeah a hundred percent and i think I that's that. even happened to me in other ways as well well, actually, we can circle. We can bring tarot into this. That's as what well. I was just yeah, about to do. Let's bring, pull we can out bring the her right in. <laughs> but um, when I was, let's see, I started practicing tarot and studying tarot. Probably oh, my past three and a half years now. I might be on four. Mm-hmm. It's been a little while now. Um, but the reason why I got into tarot um, was because I'd always kind of had a keen interest for it when I was a, a kid. I just like thought it was really interesting. But I grew up. Um, I'm not we're not like practicing Catholics, but my mom's an Italian Catholic and uh, anything that's not about like Jesus is like, no, no, like fortune tellers, tarot cards is like black magic, like scary, like bad things will happen to you is like is like the story that they tell you in like the Catholic religion. Mm -hmm. And so that said, my mom was always like hyper connected to a higher source um, to like. Uh, even like spirits. I don't mean that in like a scary or like ooh, spooky way, but she uh, she had like a knowing about her. Um, my mom and I both have very vivid dreams. So my mom was always tapped into that. But the story she was told was like a fear-based one from her background, you mm-hmm. know? And so I was interested in it when I was little. And then one day I like found a deck of cards. Somebody was giving away a bunch of stuff and they were like, do you want anything? And I found a deck of tarot cards and I was like, I think this is like a sign, like for sure. Um, and I originally was practicing them because I was in this point in my life and in my songwriting where I needed help making decisions. This is a true story. That's really why I was so driven to learn tarot because like many people, I was hoping to get answers <laughs> from uh, someone else, yeah. <laughs> some higher, more all-knowing power <laughs> instead of making the, the decisions for myself. Um, and I don't know too much about astrology, but I'm a Libra. I'm the scale. So I'm constantly weighing the pros and cons. I am fantastic at giving advice and looking at situations objectively for others. When it comes to me, it is literally my Achilles heel, like to make a decision because I can always weigh the scales. Mm-hmm. I can always be like, okay, this is the right way to go but, and then I can put something else on the other scale. It's like, it's been the challenge of my life. Um, So I've been trying to hone that skill. And when I started really practicing or wanting to pick up tarot, I was like, 
Tara will tell me what the real, what the right answer is. <laughs> um, and also at this time, I fell into a really great friend group. Um, and uh, one of the girls in that group is an incredible tarot reader. And she pretty quickly became my tarot mentor. Um, I think I addressed her as my mentor before she even knew that she was. But she just has an amazing ability to read tarot. Um, so I was lucky in that regard. But I started... <clears throat> It wasn't too long before I realized that like tarot doesn't make any decisions for you no, yeah. at all. <laughs> In fact, like I remember um, when I was just practicing with like three card spreads. <clears throat> sorry. When I was practicing with three card spreads, um, a friend of mine, I would just like do it to anybody that would let me. And I was still, you know, like looking up the definitions and then like trying to weave together. So thank you, early friends. You were very patient with me. <laughs> um, but one of my friends was like, all right, well, I've got a question since it knows things. And I was like, all right, what's your question? And it was like. I don't remember what it was, but it was something like, you know, should I take my, this job? And I remember I was like stumped because I was like, I don't think this. And I remember I started flipping cards thinking it would answer this question of like, should he take a job? And when I realized I didn't have the answer to that and the cards didn't have the answer to that, it kind of put me into this like tailspin of like aggressively studying and like figuring out all these things about tarot. And what I learned is that you can never ask tarot yes or no questions. That's about what I was going to say. I feel like you've told me that before. Yeah. You can never ask him yes or no questions. Number one, if you do ask him yes or no questions, you're going to start getting the cards that are seemingly scary. Yeah. Cards like um, the tower um, uh, would come up. And that's the tarot being like, bitch, you are strong. You are powerful. You know yourself. So what I can do is I can help you to see things more clearly so that you can make the decision yourself. But I sure as shit, I'm not going to tell you. And because tarot is also of the belief um, you still have free choice yeah. within the grounds of tarot. So so in the instance of should I take this job or not, I quickly learned that you can still ask the tarot questions. But instead of do I take this job? Yes or no. You say, what would it look like in the future if I took this job? What would it look like if I don't take this job? And then the tarot will show you what that what those options will look like. And then from there you can make your decision because it'll give you some insight into the future of those scenarios as they play out. So um, it actually did end up helping me so much with my decision making because it it, it, it forced me into that seat of power. So if I was going to be the, t the tarot reader, if I wanted to get close with this medium, I had to be able to make my own decisions innately, just like if you come to me for a reading, ultimately you are mm -hmm. the creator of your life. So readings will only show you what's going to happen to you or your surroundings based on the current trajectory of your life now. So based on your mindset now, the choices that you're making now, um, the things that you're focusing on now, this is what's going to happen. But because you've come here and because we're sitting down to read tarot and let's say you don't like this future outcome, the tarot will show you the things about your life and your mindset that are leading you to this outcome. Mm -hmm. And in that lies your power that you can change it. You can develop. Or let's say you look at the future and you're like, this is dope. I'm pumped. And the tarot's like, me too. You're <laughs> kicking ass. Like, great job. And on the negative side, which isn't scary, it's literally a tool of reflection. I like, 
um, I said this to you a bunch of times. Um, my uncle is like very anti like any like tarot mysticism, like all that stuff. And he's very much like a, a atheist science guy. And um, I was doing tarot for my cousin, his daughter once. And he comes in. He's like, oh, this is all bullshit. And I was talking to him. And, and I say this to people still. If you take out the mysticism, take out the fortune telling of tarot, you are taking 15 minutes of your life to sit down and critically analyze where you've been, mm -hmm. where you are, and where you're going. And that in and of itself is powerful work to get you out of a rut or to propel you forward. Just so, to sit and ask questions yeah. and contemplate. Yeah, where. exactly. Um, so I just want to ask too, I know when you came to the circle, you shared a little bit of background on the history because I would love to talk about yes. that as well because some people maybe aren't aware. Yeah, so there's a little bit of a discrepancy between whether it started in France or in Italy. Um, it seems like Italy is the uh, is the most popular choice. However, one of the oldest decks is French. Um, but basically, there were no tarot readers up until basically the is it called the, the Crusades? The Crusaders arrived, which was mm -hmm. um, when Christianity became the you know, um, the way to spiritually live your life. And then we would have, we would wage these wars and then push Christianity onto the people. So prior to that, um, there were obviously many different spiritual and religious beliefs and um, it tended to be mostly women, but there were also a lot of men and they were more so what we would call today like psychics. So you would go to them for this same form of advice and uh, critical thinking and they would tap into their highest self or mm -hmm. their the oneness that connects them to all and they would give them insight right like the vikings had those like the seers um mm -hmm. all all ancient communities they had some people that were powerful that were connected to that so when um the crusade started um, what would happen is if you were caught and you were in like a christian land if you were caught um doing any of that fortune telling or any psychic stuff it was considered like witchcraft and it was considered treason right it was against the king or whoever was in power and they would literally kill you <laughs> they would like be like this is it mm -hmm. you're done guillotine with you so people actually came up with a super super clever way around this because you can say yes i'm christian yes of course but not believe that because you just don't want to die and you don't want your family mm -hmm. to die and so what they came up with was card games were huge at this time um people played cards and gambled in the streets it was a very normal thing to do and so what they did is they figured out these main themes um of life and what the human experience is. The idea is that the full 78 cards of the tarot deck um, is the full human experience. That's the idea. So all of these psychics basically <laughs> got together and they created this set of 78 cards that would describe your human experience. And if you went because you wanted to go see a seer or a fortune teller or get some guidance on your life, they started flipping cards because when the crusaders or the soldiers would walk by, they thought you were gambling and playing a card game. So that's how tarot started. And some of the best readers, they don't they don't need cards. They just like have them there. And um, so it, it literally, like a lot of people are like, isn't it just a silly game? And it's like, yeah, it literally started as as a silly, I love that. not really a silly game, as a serious game. But it was meant to to fool other people so that they could practice freely and have their connection. Because that whole movement was about that 
only certain people were connected to a god or to, mm-hmm. you know, um, a higher power. And, and you have to go through those. You people. have to go through those channels to understand if you're sinning or whatever. And what these other be- spiritual beliefs is that everyone had a connection to it. It was either stronger or weaker, but you could always connect to it. So that's, I, I believe that that tarot is sort of this like a, uh, this really, really good like uh, <laughs> guerrilla warfare thing that was happening <laughs> like low key in the streets um, to combat um, and fight for free choice mm. ultimately uh, to express yourself, to learn about yourself and to develop yourself the way that you see fit on your moral compass. I love that. And I love what you said about it. it even if you don't believe in any sort of power or means of communication with the deck it is just a great way to sit down and and tap into yourself and that's what I find every morning I try to pull cards and I'll just do like a card for the day and if you guys follow Jordan on Instagram she has been pretty regular with pulling I know the holidays <laughs> maybe the ho- not but the holidays do got a card me good. of the day and you really explain it I do um mine mine's more personal for myself I'll ask a question but um Jordan will share like a theme for the day and I've always loved reading it yeah dailies were groundbreaking for me um my girlfriend um and tarot mentor was the one that kind of turned me on to that when I was studying um cuz the trick about learning tarot is that of course you have to um study a bit and Mm -hmm. understand the themes of the card and that can take quite a while um depending on you know the time that you set forward in it and then once you've you understand it then you kind of throw the book at the out the window and you have to intuit Mm -hmm. um but of course you have to understand these themes and this knowledge this ancient knowledge that was passed down in order to properly read it and so it's think of it like flashcards when you're in school and studying. Mm-hmm. So dailies, um, I've tried to explain this on my page and I'm not sure if um, people fully grasp it. So when I first started pulling dailies, I pull them in the morning with my um, morning meditation and I would be like, this is going to be how my day is going to be, mm-hmm. right? And so if I pulled a card that I really didn't like or that brought up some things that were challenging for me, it would immediately be like, wow, this is my day. And then I'd like self-fulfilling prophecy it. When in reality, dailies, which are cards that you pull each day, um, aren't these fortune telling device. They're to train you to gain greater self-awareness and to harness the power of conscious creation in your life. So let's say you flip a card um, let's call it the Four of Wands. Four of Wands is a card of celebration, getting together with a family, friends. Um, it can sometimes symbolize big events, weddings, births. It's just like a yay, we're all together celebrating card. So if I pull the Four of Wands, I'm probably not going to a party later tonight or I'm not getting engaged that day. I mean, it's possible, right? But like probably not going to happen. <laughs> and instead, what I'm looking for are themes of this. So that way... I wake up and I have a a grounding theme that I'm looking for in my day so that I be, I'm aware. So maybe I didn't have a big celebration, but maybe I show up at work and a friend of mine comes up to me and uh, is telling me about this uh, amazing New Year's Eve party that she went to that was really transformative for her. And I sit and you chuckle inside and you're like, aha, there it is again. Or maybe, you know, somebody else comes forward and they're in a really celebratory mood. They're like, I don't know what's going on, but like, I really want to like get beers later and like hang out with the community. And you're like, "Mm, there it is again. 
So it's about becoming aware and conscious of patterns because you're retraining your mind. Mm -hmm. And then that goes all the way back to the untethered soul stuff, which is you're training your mind to become aware of patterns so that you are the observer as opposed to life is happening to you. Right. Yeah. You're the creator, because if you you're, you're basically dailies are helping you practice, observe I instead of get that. lost in it. You know, like when I would pull, if I got the tower, I'd be like, oh, my God, something horrible is going to happen yeah. today. And like nothing horrible ever did happen, happen that day. But I would think about it. I'd be like, holy shit, it's coming. <laughs> I love that. And I loved when you explained it that way to me as well. And so the question that I'll ask is, what is the energy um, of this day or what kind of energy should I bring to this day? Like kind of keep it open ended, but very much exactly like surface level. Exactly. And I do. Um, there's a, a really amazing tarot reader. Um, I think her Instagram handle is Tatiana Tarot. And she um, has been reading tarot, her family, like generations. And um, she's super, super knowledgeable. And one of the things that she brought into my practice was that when you start with cards to um, do some thank yous. Um, mm, yeah. And at first that like didn't really resonate with me because um, I very much have a me against the world complex sometimes. <laughs> and so it didn't resonate. But I started practicing it because, you know, you're picking up this ancient tool, this tool that's been used for generations. So you don't need to believe again in the mysticism and the ghosts. But the reality is there were many people that came before you that paved the way for this tool that you're now using. So this is the time that you take to honor and greet the cards. So for me, um, you can totally be like, uh, what should I practice cultivating today? Whatever that feels like to you that's open-ended, you can ask. Um, mine, what I go through is I first thank the great god and goddess of the tarot deck, which to me is the emperor and the mm -hmm. empress, um, the universal powers that be. Um, I thank the ancestors, angels, and muses for bringing me to this place in the divine name of love and light and this tool to help me um, harness the powers of greater self-awareness and conscious creation. Hmm. So that's yeah, mine. That. I mean, roughly, right? But you can kind of develop mm -hmm. your own um, as you see fit. Um, but when I started integrating the gratitude and the thank yous, it's crazy how much more fluid my readings became and also just like how much better I felt throughout my day. I do them in the mornings. Um, so it's the same as like making a, a gratitude list, except mm -hmm. this is a... That. A very grand, um, a very grand, humble, I, I, I surrender and I acknowledge that there were people before that put in the work to get me here. And I also acknowledge that there is a higher power. And I don't mean that in the sense of like a religious sense, a higher power in terms of your our connectedness mm -hmm. to everyone that is at play here. That's bigger than my individual experience. And that is where where you surrender bow cards. I love that. Yeah, I definitely remember you sharing that at the circle. And I was like, wow. I mean, I practice gratitude in the mornings as well, but I never did it with the cards. And what I kind of love too, um, if you're listening to this and you're not too uh, well versed on tarot, you might notice that there's kind of um, a, a ton of different card decks out there now. So many. Different artist interpretations. And so many people have messaged me when I've shared my cards and been like, oh my God, what are those? They just don't look like tarot cards or you know, what deck should I get? And kind of the advice I've given people is go what you're drawn towards. And that's what I say with crystals and everything, like go what you're yeah. immediately pulled to. Um, but it really has turned into, wow, there's so many options, so many beautiful interpretations. And I actually used to be scared of the traditional, is it um, writer? Yeah, the writer weight. Yeah, writer weight. 
what's funny is the Rider Waite deck, I believe the first interpretation or or that was created in the 20s or the 10s, (laughs) 10s, I don't know if that's a thing. but uh, it's it's a relatively new deck in the span of decks, but that just became the the deck, uh, the deck that um, most readers today teach off of. It's the most widely understood deck um, with some of the oldest interpretations. Um, as I said earlier, I believe it's a French deck that's actually the oldest, oldest deck in tarot. Oh, wow. I'd love to look that one up. See yeah. What it looks like. um, someone I know, I think, actually has has like an a very old version of one of the French decks, and it's really cool. What's interesting, though, is that the Rider Waite deck um, based all of their interpretations on these earlier decks. So I think that's also why it's kind of widely used as the kind of main deck to start with traditionally. Um, but it's just like you said, if there's something you're drawn to, go for it. You mm-hmm. know, just like get that one. Um, I learned on Rider Wade, and it was. Um, super helpful for me but when i first saw the rider way deck i was like this is weird it's all medieval drawings like i didn't i did not vibe with it at all it felt very cartoony to me and almost like yeah i like didn't vibe with it at all and then uh well actually it was my my mentor she gave me a pack of rider way she said learn on these and i was like ugh. but you know she said it and uh i respect her and she's an incredible an an incredible reader so i'm I'm gonna start and now i love Rider Waite deck. I I have um, two other decks that I use. One is the Mystic Mondays deck, which you have as well. Um, And then I also love the Fountain deck was the first deck that I picked up myself. I do most of my readings on the Fountain deck now, Um, but I still carry around Rider Waite. Um, It it just... um, I don't know what it is about it. Uh, It just, I connected with it because that's how I learned. Um, And so if anyone's struggling and has like a different deck... um, you're struggling to kind of understand the meanings of it, I, I suggest considering getting a writer weight and seeing um, seeing if that unlocks some things for you. Yeah, I know whenever I look up, so I'm still in a stage where when I see a card that I like know and I've gotten a lot, I'm like, yes, yes. I don't have to look this up. But usually um, there are several that I still have to look up and I love actually looking at the um, more traditional drawing to kind of yeah look at that more so i don't know why i don't have one of those decks i should get one uh it's it's totally like a preference yeah. right like you don't need it it's like you I, I feel like you've had a pretty organic experience with it where you haven't gotten like frustrated to the point where you don't understand it mm-hmm. you do a fair amount of study with it so you'll be fine but i'm curious which what cards are the most sticky for you right now the most sticky I had a couple for a while that I was like, I just can't vibe with these. <laughs> Honestly, whenever I see swords, I'm like, oh, my God, what is happening? That is <laughs> like so funny. Any sort of sword. I'm like, is, what, what, what? <laughs> no way. I feel like I've I've I vibed with swords quickly. Um, wow. But I think that that also sticks to the root of things that you're working out. Because <laughs> so, you know, that swords, the air and the element of air, um, they involve action they're very action oriented cards so how you back up your words but then the other side of it which actually took me about a year before i picked up on the the other side of swords is how you see yourself so it's some i can see how it can be a difficult suit to connect with because on the one hand there's battle there's horses there's swords there's ha action but the 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 secret the motivating part behind all the swords is how you view yourself and how these actions 
are reflective of how you're, oh, I hit the mic. I was so excited. Um, <laughs> how these actions are reflective of what's happening inside of you, negative or positive. Mm. I love that. Should we pull a card just for this? I'm super down. Do you want to pull from your deck? I feel um, like I feel like you should pull a daily. Okay, I, you're right. You know what? I haven't done one today. <laughs> I'm also excited because it's a new deck. I love the Mystic Mondays deck. It is a Mondays new deck, deck. And I was explaining to Jordan the way that I stumbled upon the Mystic Mondays deck was actually years ago when I decided that I wanted to do this podcast and I was going to call it Mystic Mondays with Moon, Body, Soul. And I started Googling to see if anyone <laughs> had that name. And at the time, this was like a fresh Instagram account called Mystic Mondays and they were about to create a tarot deck. <laughs> Here yeah. we are. And now I own it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in my podcast studio with conversations with Moon, Body, Soul. It all happened. All right. Shuffling the cards. Oh, yeah. Ah, oh, the two of pentacles. Fun. Two of pentacles is so tricky. Now, are you familiar with two of pentacles? Um, to an extent, this one is reversed, though. Oh. So give us your take on reverse. Oh, dear. Um, firstly, reverse cards really... Um, confused me for a long time. Um, and if you're new to starting tarot, I suggest um, just focusing on upright for the time being. Um, reverse cards, sometimes the implication is that they are the opposite of what it means upright, but that's not always the case. So with the two of coins, it's about, or pentacles, it's about a work-life balance is mm -hmm. what it's all about. So pentacles are our earth suit. It is uh, about material wealth in our lives. It's also about how we're ground, how grounded we are, right? Because the deeper the roots of your tree, the more flexible the branches are. And so the two of pentacles arrives um, to let you know that you're currently trying to seek a better work-life balance. And it's reverse position. In this case for the dailies, what we're going to be looking for are themes and patterns where things are out of sync. <laughs> and you are recognizing that maybe Maybe you need to reevaluate how much you're working and how much you're having. I was going to say pleasure time, and that sounds so <laughs> weird. What's the other word for that? Working versus life? Yeah. I don't know. They're one in the same. But um, but it's that things are a little bit out of whack, and you're seeking to find that balance. Um, in the Rider Waite deck, it's a juggler, and he's like juggling, and there's like these like rocky waves in the back. Um, and so more reminders are to say this as well. Just like waves are like circles, you're going to have times when it's out of balance. You could be the most organized person with your work-life balance and it could still fall out of whack. So the first thing to do is to trust and know that it's going to get back on track. It's not a big deal. But this is a time where you should evaluate that balance and what you can bring more of in your life and do less of. Was that a quick, yeah, clear definitely. explanation? And that's definitely something that... I know, you know, that I've struggled with or yeah, totally. worked through. Um, but yeah. it, that being said, it is Saturday, you guys. This is technically work, but it's also a fun conversation. Yeah, like that's why I think I struggled <laughs> with like work or pleasure time because I was like, we, because of what we both, the nature of yeah, what we both do, life, work is intrinsically a part of our lives. Yeah. So it's it's weird when you're like, this is work and then this part is, is living. Like yeah. it's very, very bizarre. Um, But yeah, I feel like you've pulled this card a couple of times. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it makes sense because you're always and like the the there's an infinity symbol in that. So it's just it's always going to come. It's just a question of how heavy you let it rock you when it does um, come crashing down, so to speak. <laughs> I love that. Thank you for interpreting that card for us. Oh, so you're very welcome. We are going to wrap this conversation up. The very last thing that I'm going to do, um, people ask me so much about crystals and minerals and 
I thought a really fun way to work it into the podcast, which maybe I should have explained this in the beginning. But Mm. um, I am going to have or I have a crystal in the room with us um, that kind of either represents the conversation or um, represents the person that I'm talking to. So today, next to Jordan on the desk, there are two, um, a huge and a smaller chunk of celestite. Wow. Or Celestine. It has two different words, but they're from Madagascar. It's a blue stone. Um, someone like Jordan, I feel like definitely has her throat chakra on lock, unlock, actually. <laughs> but she's flowing and she uses her voice. Um, she's able to communicate and express herself. So that's why I chose this stone. It's mm. great for conversations, um, especially with, um, like the name implies, celestite, celestial, mm. celestial, the above. Um, I love that. So that is the stone that I picked, and I can share a little photo or video on Instagram. But what's also so funny is the large chunk in here is my personal piece. So beautiful. That Jordan has tried to buy from me before. I was. I was trying to take <laughs> it from her. Which is even funnier. What's crazy is that you almost sold that to me. Almost. And then I saw your face and I was like, I can't have this. But I, I am going to touch it now. It's very heavy. I told Katie with all of the crystals in her home, she doesn't ever have to worry about home intruders. She has many weapons. <laughs> but also they probably won't come because you have all of the uh, energy protecting your house. I feel like, yeah, it's... Uh... I love this. Where did you say this is from? Madagascar. Madagascar, which that's on my bucket list to go mine crystals there. But the very last question I'm going to ask you is, do you have a favorite stone? Do you resonate with stones? And then we will. Ooh, I definitely resonate with stones. My boyfriend got me a large chunk of citrine many years ago for my birthday, and he had no idea that that would be the end. Um, And now we have so many crystals in our home. And he always asks me, he's like, when will you stop? (laughs) I'm like, never. (laughs) Um, Lately, um, a a lot of stones resonate with me. The first one that popped into my mind when you said that was malachite. I love malachite. Um, I used to be Mm. really more into like... um, rose quartz smoky quartz clear quartz for a really long time uh amethyst i love like the sparkly like pretty ones um and i still do um but lately i've been getting more into the like less shiny the malachites the tiger's eyes um tiger's eyes um but what i like about malachite is how it's like the good luck stone and it's also good for like traveling and watching over you and it makes me i have it in my bag actually that's what i should do i should unroll the crystals in this bag right now um but yeah, it for some reason malachite makes me feel like I'm protected. It's I, I can't explain to you why that is. Um, but she is. So malachite is actually one of the stones that I believe there's evidence that they used in Egypt. And if you were to melt it down, malachite is like pure copper. Stop it. So it's a really good conductor. Um I don't have malachite with me today, you guys. I have <laughs> hematite. I have white agate and I have rose quartz. I love it. But these are what I I travel around in my like tarot bag. I have this like little satchel and I keep the tarot cards mm-hmm. and then I keep a couple crystals. So it's like light, dark, love. Yeah. So as long as I Balanced. have these, I'm I'm good to go. But malachite's been it also looks like some pieces look like the ocean floor. Yeah. It's really, really cool. And I'm I can't say I'm into the ocean. I think like many people are into the ocean. But if you like the ocean, you'll love Malachite. (laughs) Thank you so much, Jordan. I'm so happy I was able to have this conversation with you and record it and go back and listen to it for myself as well. And thank you for sharing your creative process. Um, Lastly, I will just say if you want to find Jordan, how can people find you, listen to your music, or get in touch with you? Amazing. Um, so you can listen to my music on all streaming platforms. Um, 
you know them. Uh, you can also reach me on my website, jordancorey.com. There's a contact page. You can hit me up that way. Um, Instagram, my handle's like Jordan underscore Corey. And if you want a tarot reading, um, you can either contact me via my website or you can slide into my Instagram DMs. I love that. <laughs> Amazing. And fun fact, I don't know if I mentioned this, but the intro music we played at the beginning and now what we're about to play is courtesy of Jordan Corey. It's an yes. original. Oh, so. I also didn't say I'm releasing a single at the oh end of this God. month. How silly. <laughs> There's going to be new music out at the end of this month. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jordan. This was super fun. You're so welcome. Thank you so much for listening to Conversations with Moon Body Soul. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to hear more and leave us a review. If you have any special guests or any requests that you'd like to hear on the podcast, please send us an email to hello at moonbodysoul.com. <laughs>